Well, hey, welcome to First Church Live. So glad you guys are joining us. And we have family here from our Stone Canyon campus, was our North North Garnett campus joining us in person. And we also have family joining us online in different states and different countries. So if you guys are here in person, if you would, put your hands together and welcome in our online campus here today. Well, besides it being Grad Sunday, and we do want to congratulate our graduates, it's also Father's Day. And so as a staff, we were trying to decide how do we honor and recognize our fathers today. And so we came up with this great idea. As a dad, probably the best gift you could give me is time with my kids. And so I spent a lot of time with my kids outside. We played cornhole and basketball and baseball, wiffle ball. And so we thought, what if we gave every single dad in our church a wiffle ball set today that they could take home and play this afternoon with their kids? And that's what we did. bought enough for everybody. So dads, on your way out the door today, pick up one of these wiffle ball sets, spend some time with your kids in your backyard or front yard this afternoon, and have some fun. But these sets came in this week, and our staff, at least the dads on our staff, couldn't wait till Sunday to take one. We went ahead and took some early, and we decided to film some clips of us playing wiffle ball with our kids. Take a look at this video. Dads, take one of these sets home, but be warned, you might get hurt, okay, as you saw in that video just now, but hopefully you can have a fun time. We thought that was a great gift for our dads, uh, one, because you can have a fun time with your kids, but also because it goes on with our Curveball series. For the past several weeks, we've been in this series called Curveball, where we've been looking at different people throughout the Old Testament who were throwing some curveball in life, and we're seeing how they responded to it and how God continued to work in their lives. And so today, we're going to wrap up this series, and we're going to wrap it up with probably one of the most famous famous guys in the Old Testament, a guy you've probably heard of before, his name, David. And when you see the name David or you hear the name David, there's probably another name that goes along with it. If I were to put this up on the screen, David and blank, what name would you put in that blank? Goliath, right? David and Goliath. These two names go hand in hand. And honestly, these two names have just become part of our vernacular, part of our common language. We talk about David and Goliath moments and situations all the time. Let me give you a few examples of this. Some of you guys will remember the 1980 Miracle on Ice when the United States hockey team defeated the former USSR, and it was an upset victory. No one predicted that it would happen. And so when we have an upset victory like that, they call it a David and Goliath moment. Now, I don't remember this because I wasn't born yet, but some of you guys probably do remember this moment, and it was all anybody talked about, this David and Goliath moment. Here's a more recent example. A few years ago, just a couple years ago, in the NCAA basketball tournament, for the first time ever in history, the only time it's happened so far, a 16 seed beat a number one seed in the tournament. UMBC beat Virginia, and everybody referred to this as a David and Goliath underdog 
moment. What about this example? Anybody remember in 1988 when Hulk Hogan took on Andre the Giant and he body slammed him? That was called the David and Goliath moment because even though Hulk Hogan was huge, Andre the Giant was even bigger. And I'm sure that was probably staged and planned out. But still, they called it an underdog moment. Any WWF fans, any old WWF fans in the room? Okay, a few of you. Awesome. What about this example? Matt Thomason and I arm wrestling. Now, let me just tell you, if I were to have won this arm wrestling match, it would have been a David and Goliath moment because Matt Thomason could break me in half. But that's a different story. I'm actually okay with that. But that would have been a David and Goliath moment if I would have actually won that. We hear about David and Goliath moments all the time, situations all the time. And the reason why this has become part of our common language and vernacular is because of a moment that happened in history some 3,000 years ago, an actual historical moment when this little shepherd boy named David took on a giant named Goliath who was nine feet tall. And this historical example is recorded for us in 1 Samuel chapter 17 in your Old Testament. So if you have a Bible or a Bible app on your phone or tablet, go ahead and look it with me, 1 Samuel chapter 17. That's where we're going to be camped out today. That's where we're going to study today. And here's our context. The Israelites, who are God's people, they're at war with this other people group known as the Philistines. And the Philistines, they were, well, they were a cruel people, a barbaric people. They were inhumane in the way they treated other nations. And other nations were scared of them because they would come in and they were violent and brutal and they didn't care who they hurt. Now, here's the thing. The Philistines were also extremely wealthy, so they had unlimited resources in order to take over other nations, other countries. And also, they were more advanced when it comes to their technology and their weaponry. So just the name, the Philistines, it would strike fear in the hearts of other nations. No one wanted to be at war with the Philistines, and yet that's who Israel finds themselves at war with. And the Israelites, they are scared to death. They don't want to have to go up against this mighty army, but that's who's declared war on them. Now, David at this time is a young shepherd boy, and he's not at war because he's too young to fight. All of the fighting men of age, they're at war right now against the Philistines, but David got to stay home because he's just a boy. He's too young to fight. All of his older brothers, though, they're at war, and they're fighting against the Philistines. So David is left to tend his father's sheep, his father's flocks at home on their family farm. And one day, his father, Jesse, comes to him, and he says, David, I want you to go check on your brothers at war. I want you to go see how they're doing, and I've prepared care packages uh, for them with food and gifts in it so that they're taken care of. I want you to go check on them and report back to me. So David, being an obedient son, says, sure, Dad. And he goes off to the front lines where his brothers were fighting this war, and he brings with him these care packages. And when he gets there, he arrives at the Valley of Elah. This is where the Israelite army is lined up, where the Philistine army is lined up. And it's a valley, and the Israelites are on one side of the valley on the high ground, and the Philistines are on the other side of the valley on the high ground. And neither one of them want to go into the valley, because that would be a death sentence. That would be a suicide mission. You don't want to give up the high ground. So they're kind of at a standstill right now. They're deadlocked. No one wants to go into this valley. And that's when David arrives as he sees the Israelite army on one side and the Philistine army on the other side. And he finds his brothers and he goes to them and he talks to them, he checks on them. And as he's talking with them, something happens. 
Read with me, if you would, in 1 Samuel chapter 17. It says, As he, David, was talking with his brothers, Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, stepped out from his lines and shouted his usual defiance, meaning this went on for some time. In fact, we find out later this had been going on for 40 days. His usual defiance, and David heard it. So here's what's going on. Remember, Israelites on one side of the valley, Philistines on the other. No one wants to go down into the valley and give up the high ground. And so they're deadlocked. And there was this ancient military tactic where you would send in your best warrior to fight against the other side's best warrior to have a one-on-one battle. And both sides agreed it was better for one warrior to die than the entire army to suffer and die. And so they agreed that whoever would win this one-on-one battle would be victorious, and the losing side, the guy whose ultimate warrior died, the losing side would then surrender their army to the winning side. That's what Goliath is doing here. He's leaving his line to go down into the valley to shout out to the other side, to the Israelites, send your best warrior to fight me. And it's interesting to me that in this verse, Goliath is referred to as, if you go back as the champion from Gath. That word champion, going to the next slide, this, is the, this comes from a Hebrew word, benayim. If you would say that with me on the count of three, benayim. One, two, three, benayim. This word means the man in the space between. In other words, Goliath was the one who was willing to stand in the gap on behalf of his people. He was the one who was willing to step into the unknown. He was the one who was willing to step out when no one else would. He was the one who was willing to step into the space between. So he steps out as the representative of his people, the Philistines, and he challenges the best warrior on Israel's side. And you know how they respond? Well, we'll find out. Goliath says to the Israelites, choose a man and have him come down to me if he is able to fight and kill me. We will become your subjects, but if I overcome him and kill him, you will become our subjects and serve us. Then the Philistines said, this day I defy the ranks of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other. And you know what happens? This is what David sees before his very eyes. If you move on in the text, on hearing this, the Philistines' words Saul, that's the king of Israel at this time, Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. In fact, we read on that they ran and they would hide. They were scared to death. So Goliath says, send your best warrior, and all of the soldiers on Israel's side, they run, they hide, they're full of fear, they are scared to death. No one steps up, no one steps into the space between with Goliath. They choose to stay on the high ground because they believe the high ground is safe. They believe the high ground is where they can protect themselves It's the more comfortable area. It's what feels better in the moment because none of them wants to go and face Goliath. And let me just ask you, have you ever been tempted to cling to what's comfortable rather than step into the unknown? That's what the Israelites were doing. But here's the thing. Even though they were clinging to the high ground, clinging to what's comfortable, Goliath was still there. The giant wasn't going anywhere. The Philistines weren't going anywhere. It wasn't solving anything by clinging to what's comfortable. 
And what I have learned over time, and I've had to learn this the hard way, is that God doesn't call us to cling to what's comfortable. He calls us to change the world. God doesn't call us to cling to what's comfortable. He calls us to change the world. And sometimes what God is calling us to do in order to change the world, it isn't safe. It isn't easy. It isn't comfortable. God doesn't call us to play it safe. He calls us to live by faith. And there's a huge difference. But nobody on Israel's side wants to live by faith. They'd rather just play it safe. And play it safe wasn't taking care of their giant. It wasn't dealing with the problem at hand. And so David sees all this play out, and he says, wait a second, I know this giant's big, but isn't our God bigger? Don't we believe the God who created the cosmos is on our side? Why are we afraid of this guy? And that's why David goes on to say in our passage, who is this pagan Philistine anyway that he is allowed to defy the armies of the living God? In other words, who does this guy think he is? He doesn't have God on his side. Why are we allowing him to talk about God's people this way? Why are we allowing him to talk about our God this way? We have the living God on our side. They worship statues. They worship idols, false gods who aren't real. The living God is on our side. Why are we allowing this guy to defy our God, to defy his people? Why are we allowing him to make fun of us and mock us in this way? Why hasn't somebody done something about this dude? See, David has courageous faith, but no one else around him seems to. And when he expresses this courageous faith in his God, who he believes is bigger than the giant they're up against, some of the other Israelite soldiers notice. And so they hear David saying that he's willing to basically go and fight Goliath. And so they say, hey, David, we just want to let you know, if you go fight Goliath, the king has promised a huge reward. King Saul has said that whoever goes and defeats Goliath gets to marry one of his daughters. So you get to marry into his family. You get a huge uh, financial reward. It's like winning the lottery. You get a whole bunch of money. And also, you get to go live on one of the king's estates. You get a new house fit for a king and property fit for a king. And David's like, I'm in, cool, let's do this. I mean, David would have done that even without the reward, you know. He was ready to go and fight Goliath before he even knew there was a reward. But he's like, hey, that's icing on the cake. Let's do this. But here's the thing. Anytime you're ready to do something daring for God, there's always somebody ready to discourage you. Anytime you're ready to do something daring, courageous for God, There's always somebody ready to discourage you. There's always somebody ready to criticize you. Satan knows how to put the wrong people in the right place to discourage you. And I've seen this happen over and over again in my life. There'll be some situation I'm facing, some giant I'm up against, maybe some opportunity that's come available, and I will pray, and I will pray about it. I will seek wisdom and counsel from others. I will read Scripture. I will seek out God's will. And after I have thoroughly prayed about it and thought about it and talked to others about it, I make a decision that I believe is God's will. And as soon as I get ready to make that decision or announce that decision, there's always somebody there to criticize it. There's always somebody there to tell me I'm doing the wrong thing. There's always somebody there to discourage me. And normally, it's because of selfish reasons. I've seen this happen in the church over and over again. This church and in the church I served before I came here. 
The leadership of a church will get together and they will pray about some problem or situation for weeks, sometimes months, and they will finally come to a conclusion after they've sought counsel and wisdom from others and they've studied God's word together and they've prayed about it and they've prayed about it and then they come to this conclusion and they make this decision and as soon as it's announced, within a matter of seconds, someone is, willing to, is ready to criticize it, not because they know the facts or because they have good reasons, just because it makes them feel uncomfortable. And that's exactly what happens for David. David wants to go fight Goliath, and there's somebody there ready to criticize him, somebody there ready to put him down and hold him back. You know who that somebody was? One of his own brothers. Listen to what the passage says. It says, when Eliab, David's oldest brother, heard him speaking with the men, the other soldiers, he burned with anger at David and asked, why have you come down here? And with whom did you leave those few sheep in the desert? I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is. David's brother says, you're just prideful. You're just selfish. You're conceited. You're just doing this for your own glory. Aren't you supposed to be watching the sheep anyway? Why are you even here? Now, here's my question. Was David's heart really wicked? Was he really conceited? Well, the Bible goes on to tell us that God refers to David as a man after his own heart. God knew David's heart. David wasn't conceited. He didn't have an evil and wicked heart. David wasn't doing this for the wrong reason. David was doing this because he trusted God. He was willing to do what God wanted him to do when no one else was willing to do what God wanted him to do. David had the right heart, so why did his brother criticize him? Because when you don't share God's vision for life, you will become intimidated by those who do. It will scare you. Fear will overcome you. And you will start to turn somebody who's living for God into the enemy because you're not willing to live for God yourself. And that's exactly what happens in this moment. But here's the thing. Even though it's David's own brother who criticizes him, David doesn't let that discouragement get him down. He doesn't allow for what God wants for him to do, for him to get distracted from that. And so David decides he's going to fight Goliath anyway. And King Saul, king of the Israelites, he hears that there's a man willing to go up against Goliath. And he says, bring this guy to me. I want to know who this guy is. For 40 days now, we've been up against this giant, and nobody's been willing to fight him. Bring this guy to me. I want to meet this guy. So they bring David to Saul, and King Saul is all excited to meet this guy who's willing to stand up against Goliath. And then he sees David, and he's not that excited anymore <laughs> because he sees that David is this little boy. And look at what Saul says to him. You are not able to go out against the Philistine and fight him. You are only a boy. And he has been a fighting man from his youth. You can't stand up to this warrior. He's the best on their side. You're just a little shepherd boy. You can't do this. You know what David says? David says, God has been with me my entire life, and I believe he'll be with me now. Look at what David says. He says, the Lord will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. Yeah, Goliath is big, but my God is bigger. David believes his God is bigger. Saul is focused on David's strength, but David is focused on God's strength. Saul is focused on what David can do within his own abilities and gifts and talents. David is focused on what God can do through him. And so David is willing to stand up to Goliath, and Saul sees this, and Saul responds to David by saying, go, and the Lord be with you. In other words, good luck. <laughs> You're going to need it. 
Good luck. And so Saul tries to dress David up in all of his kingly armor, but Saul is this huge dude, and David's a little shepherd boy, and so it doesn't fit him right. It swallows David, so David takes off all of the king's armor, says, I don't need any of that stuff. And David picks up his shepherd's staff, five smooth stones and a slingshot, and he goes out to face Goliath. And here the passage says, David, with his sling in his hand, approached the Philistine. And this, to me, is one of the most powerful verses in this entire story, this entire passage. You know why? Because in this moment, in this moment, David becomes the Benayim. David becomes the one who is willing to stand in the gap on behalf of his people. David becomes the one who is willing to step into the unknown. David becomes the one who is willing to step into the space between. And the reason why he was willing to do it when no one else would for 40 days was because he trusted God. Everybody else thinks that he's crazy, and David is telling everyone else, our God is bigger. I know Goliath is huge, but our God is bigger. And that's what he wants Goliath to know. He approaches Goliath, and look what Goliath says to him. Goliath says, am I a dog that you come at me with sticks, his shepherd's staff, and the Philistine cursed David by his gods? Who do you think I am exactly? Goliath here is making fun of David's weaponry, and look at how David responds. David says, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty the God of the armies of Israel whom you have defied, this day the Lord will hand you over to me. In other words, Goliath, you're worried about my weapons. I'm focused on the one who's with me because you don't have him and God isn't on your side. Goliath is focused on David's weaponry. David is focused on who's with him. And I just want to let you guys know something today. No matter what you're facing in life, no matter what giants you're up against, Our God is bigger. No matter what wall you're up against, no matter what giant is in front of you, our God is bigger. Our God is bigger than your unknown future. Our God is bigger than your job insecurity. Our God is bigger than your marital problems. Our God is bigger than the family issues you're dealing with right now. Our God is bigger than your fear and uncertainty. Our God is bigger than your breakup. Our God is bigger than your loneliness. Our God is bigger than your unhealthy friendship. Our God is bigger than the temptations you're facing right now. Our God is bigger than the addictions that have a hold on you. Our God is bigger than the enemies that are attacking you right now. Our God is bigger than any giant you may face. And David believed that with all of his heart. David didn't run from Goliath because he believed his God was bigger. So you know what David does? He approaches Goliath, throws a stone in his direction. The stone hits David, I mean hits Goliath on the forehead. And Goliath, the giant, after the stone hits him, falls to the ground dead, instantly defeated. And what's cool is one moment of faith erases 40 days of fear. Look at what happens next. 
Then the men of Israel, these are the soldiers, the army of Israel and Judah, surged forward with a shout and pursued the Philistines. For 40 days, they've been deadlocked. For 40 days, they've been at a standstill. For 40 days, they've been unwilling to move forward even though God was telling them to. For 40 days, they've been running and hiding in fear. And now in this moment, they surge forward and finally do what God was calling them to do. Why? What changed? Because one man, one young shepherd boy was willing to take the first step of faith, was willing to step into the unknown, was, bil- was willing to be the man in between, was, bil- was willing to be the one who would represent his people. And I believe that's what God is calling us to do as well. See, we live in a world today that is full of uncertainty. We live in a world today that has so many unknowns. People are scared. People are afraid. And I think we are here to be those who take the first step of faith to show people who our God really is. To show people that faith in him, trust in him can overcome any fear we're facing, can overcome any giant that we are up against. And so do you really believe God is bigger? Because if you do, here's the question you need to ask yourself. What courageous thing does God want you to do right now? What unknown is God asking you to step into? What courageous thing does God want you to do? Because God is calling you to be the one who steps into the unknown, trusting him, leading people where they need to go. Because here's the thing, as cool as this story is, there's an even bigger story that's better than this. And it's about another one who stood in between. Jesus on the cross. He stood in the gap. He stood in between the gap that had been formed because of sin that separated God and us. And because he stood in our place. He went into the unknown. He defeated sin. He defeated death. He conquered the curse because he became the man in between. He now has allowed us to step into the unknown. And we know we have victory over death and over sin and over the curse. And we have nothing to be afraid of because with Jesus as our champion, we know we are victorious. And so my question is, Do you really believe God is bigger? Do you have Jesus as your champion right now? Because when you have courageous faith like that, like David had, Jesus will change your life. And as I thought about this story this week and thought about our curveball series, somebody came to mind. I have a good friend. His name is Brian Hunt. He preaches out in California, and he preaches at a mega church. He preaches to thousands of people every single week. Here's his picture up on the screen. And Brian is just an awesome dude. He's an awesome guy. But here's the thing. He didn't always preach to thousands. He wasn't always the lead minister of a mega church. At one time, he played baseball. He was actually a professional baseball player, played in the minors. And baseball was his life. And then after he was done with baseball, he got into the business world. He was an extremely successful businessman but he still felt unfulfilled. That was until God got a hold of him and changed his life. And so I thought about just telling you his story, but as I talked to Brian this week, he said, let me film something, let me tell my story. And so take a look at this video. 
Hey guys, my name is Brian Hunt, and like Pastor Chad just said, um, it's an honor to be able to speak with you just for a couple of minutes about my story. And, and you should just know, your pastor is amazing, but, but you know that. Uh, well, let me just tell you a little bit about my story. I, I, I am uh, I'm from Rapid City, South Dakota. That's where I was born and raised. And there's not a lot to do there other than go to Mount Rushmore and really do one other thing, and that is play baseball. And I loved baseball. I mean, it was the thing that I got up in the morning to do. I absolutely loved it, every single minute of it. And so it's no wonder that my desire in life was to become a professional baseball player. And I actually wanted to play Division I baseball and become a professional baseball player. That was my goal. Well, well, sure enough, I worked super, super hard. I got a chance to be able to, after school, after college, to play professional baseball. That's right, I played in the Northern League, which is uh, independent league baseball. It's about double A AA or triple A level, depending on what night of the week it was. But I got a chance to play baseball. And I remember getting a check for the first time and looking at that and saying, they're, they're paying me to play a game. How cool is that? And I'll be honest, it was awesome. I mean, getting a chance to have people line up to get your autograph and going out to dinner and having people wanting your picture to get your autograph with them and, and, and getting a chance to go to places they invite you to there to be able to speak and, and they would listen to you all because you played a game. And it was so cool. I loved every second of it. In fact, I even got engaged on the baseball field. That's how much baseball was a part of my life. And, and my wife did say yes, by the way. But I also remember the night or the day, the day that I was going to walk away from baseball. If my wife and I had talked, or my fiance at the time and I had talked, and she says, listen, you're, you're going to need to make more money. <laughs> uh, you're going to need to support a family. And so I, I walked away from baseball. But I remember the last day that I took my jersey off. And I remember not being able to see the buttons because I was crying so hard. Because I realized that the second I took that baseball jersey off, I was no longer baseball Brian. I was just Brian. And that scared me to death. Like I didn't know who I was going to be. My baseball had to define my entire life. And so for about six years or so, I kind of waffled through life not sure who I was. I went in the business world. I ran medically-based fitness centers. I moved from, from Sioux Falls to Chicago, Illinois, and I got a chance to, to be a part of a great business there. But I really didn't know who I was. That was until God said, hey, I need you to leave the business world and go into ministry. But as I sit back here, after being here for five years now, I think back of Brian in that locker room to where I'm at now, and I realize something that the Brian that was completely lost is now completely found as a pastor because I tell you this, that I would give up every double, every home run, every, every autograph I ever signed, every speaking engagement I ever had a chance to in baseball for just one more chance to tell somebody about Jesus. That, that I love what I do that much, that I love the mission that Jesus has me on to lead people to discover Jesus and follow him fully. It is way better than anything I ever experienced in baseball. And that doesn't mean that God didn't use me in that time in baseball, absolutely did. But I'm telling you, it all set me up for this time in this place where now I'm able to say, God, I'm in your will. Despite the curveballs I might have faced, despite the things that might have happened, God, I am fully in your will. Use me any way you can and I will go there. It is the best rush to follow Jesus. It is the best rush to do what he has told us to do. And it is the best rush in the world to be able to say, Jesus, use me any way you can. Guys, if I had just one more chance to tell somebody about Jesus, I would give up all the baseball stuff in a heartbeat because that's what's most important. Guys. I love what Brian says there. It is the best rush to say, Jesus, use me any way you can. See, that's what God is asking us to do. He may not be asking you to go into full-time preaching ministry like he did Brian, but he might be asking you to step into the unknown right now, to take a step of courageous faith. 
And when you do, just like Brian, what used to define your identity, what used to be all about your past, it will fade in comparison to how God will use you now. He will use you in ways beyond your imagination, but it takes you being willing to take that first step of faith into the unknown, into the gap, trusting God, letting him lead you. Brian said he would give up every autograph, every party, every game, every home run for the chance to tell just one more person about Jesus. How cool is that? See, when Jesus gets a hold of your life, he'll change it. And he wants to change your life today. He wants for you to realize what you were created for, that you were created for a greater purpose than what this world is offering you. So I challenge you today, believe our God is bigger, trust him, and step into the unknown. Step into where he's leading you. And when you do, he will use you in ways beyond your imagination. Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you so much for today. And in the culture we live in today, we need more and more people who live by courageous faith in you. So I pray that we will always be a church that lives with courageous faith. As individuals, we will do that among our family members and friends and coworkers and whoever else we encounter. And as we do, as we step into the unknown, trusting in you, may you lead us to do greater things than we, what we could do on our own. We thank you so much for Jesus. He is the ultimate champion of our lives. And because he stood in the gap for us, now we can have victory over sin and death and the curse that is upon this world. In his name, Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen.